Good morning. I'm Chris Williams, and today on Fordham Conversations, we're talking about art in the Bronx. a Fordham professor will tell us about art's relationship to the city. Then we'll hear about a new exhibit at the Bronx Art Space and talk to the artists who created pieces for it. David Story is a professor in the Visual Arts Department at Fordham University. He tells us about art in the city and some of the reasons it has spread to outer boroughs. So can you just start by telling me about sort of the connection between art and New York City? At this point in time, I think, and in, in for the last, um, maybe since World War II, it, it's almost been synonymous. New York has been the uh, sort of the uh, world capital of, of contemporary art. Most of the um, uh, sort of pivotal events in terms of, of, of movements and, and uh, style and, and intellectual uh, sort of uh, developments have been generated in, in New York. It's been the city where young artists come to uh, work and to uh, make a career and to make a contribution and to do and just to be here. I mean, this is this is why this is uh, what brought me 30 years ago to New York was just to to be, to be here and to be working. So usually, you know, when we think of New York City, we automatically kind of think of Manhattan, but art has you know spread out to Brooklyn and to the outer boroughs and even to the Bronx. Mm -hmm. So can you just talk a little bit about? art in the Bronx and what you know about it? Well, as opposed to Brooklyn, Brooklyn has a pretty high profile. There's a lot of visibility for, for what's happening in Brooklyn. and the Bronx, less so. Although uh, some of the developments uh, recently of, of art activity in the Bronx are, are pretty substantial. I don't know if, if many people realize this, but in the latest Venice Biennale, the uh, American Pavilion was... Uh, co-curated and co-sponsored by uh, the Bronx Museum of the Art. A, uh, an installation in the Giardini uh, by Sarah Say, who's a sculptor, a New York-based sculptor, and um, it was curated by Holly Block, who is the executive director of, of the Bronx Museum of Art. And uh, there is, the, the Venice Biennale is still the premier exhibition venue in, in, in the world. It's it's it doesn't get any better than that, and uh, it was uh, generated and, and curated, you know, right out of the Bronx. Although I think, and uh, primarily just in, in interactions and discussions I've had with with Fordham students who are from the Bronx, most of the most of the real uh, sort of of day to day art activity happening in the Bronx is pretty impromptu. You know, it comes it's it's self generated. It's grassroots. It comes from the neighborhood as opposed to some of the other boroughs where uh, many of the people who are, are making art have gone to art schools or gotten degrees you know, from, from colleges and universities in the fine arts. Uh, I think in the Bronx, a lot of the most interesting work is sort of, of self-generated in the Bronx itself. You know, people just deciding this is important, 
we're going to do it, and we're going to do it our way. Do you think that it's possible for the Bronx to kind of emerge as sort of the next big place for artists? I suspect that, that inevitably that, that this, this sort of movement will continue, and the Bronx is certainly, uh, I think, very promising in terms of, of the kinds of spaces that attract artists, the affordable, multi-use you know, uh, spaces where you can, you can make things and, and store things and uh, show things. Because a lot of the a lot of what it, what made Brooklyn interesting and exciting is it wasn't just the art artists in their studios who were there. It was the people who just decided to open a gallery in a in a you know in a vacant storefront that they could rent for you know a tenth of what it would cost in Manhattan. The Bronx art scene is more underground than Manhattan or Brooklyn. So to find out more, I went to the Bronx Art Space located in Mott Haven. It was the night they were opening their new exhibit. Portals and Interventions. I spoke with each of the artists about their work and what inspires them, but first I talked to Linda Cunningham, director and curator of the Bronx Art Space. So how long have you been working with the Bronx Art Space? Oh, four years, I'd say, right now. It acquired its name at one point, but it had been used as an art space for a while earlier. And uh, another fellow named Mitsu Hadeshi um, was curating video installations. He still does periodically at Bronx Art Space, but then I started to join forces with him. And um, yeah, it was first just inviting people to do what they wanted to do here. And, you know, in a way, uh, it, you can't afford that. It's unfortunately because it's a really nice space and it has to generate rent somehow. So, it got we we teamed up and first uh, got the Bronx Council and the Arts to support us, but now the City of New York, uh, the Department of Cultural Affairs, is keeping us alive. But that's kind of bare, barely, and we have to go off looking for other project funding and volunteers and everything else in order to do what we would like to do, which is to contribute options for Bronx artists and also for um, Bronx residents to have uh, access to something that they will, you know, would then not get otherwise. There are people who never have a metro card to go into Manhattan who wander in here. You know, they so, kind of don't know what it is. They can't believe it's free. You know, it's, it's very interesting. You know, we have a very, very mixed public. So how long have you lived in the Bronx? I've been here 14 years now. Isn't that amazing? It's that long, 2000. So how would you categorize art in the Bronx compared to other boroughs of the city, or, or is it all the same? It's a happening thing. It's a happening thing. I mean, people are, as, as one of our visiting artists said, they are working hard artists. They have another job. They're doing their, the, the fellow who constructed this semi-subway station here, you know, he's been up all night for three nights, you know, he, uh, he's like a madman. Um, but he has a vision and he wants to do something that really has a presence. And so, you know, these are not getting sold to people on Wall Street at for fifty and a hundred thousand dollars a throw. They haven't figured out that we're here yet. 
you know, um, and neither have the Chelsea galleries for the most part. So we're we are making art that is really genuine art. It comes out of people's hearts, about of their intensity, their wish to communicate themselves and their ideas and things for their thinking about. You know, here you can find art with a heart. I'm Chris Williams, and you're listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7. Today we're talking about art in the Bronx, specifically an exhibit at the Bronx Art Space and the artists who were responsible for creating pieces. Marita Ibanez is the only artist part of the show with no prior affiliation with the Bronx. She's from Lima, Peru, and came to New York to present her work, which she describes as a kind of puzzle. So can you tell me, we'll go look at it in a little bit, but can you tell me about your work and and what it is and what it looks like? My work is basically uh, about the city. I've been working about uh, South American cities especially from from a long time uh, by now. You know, we, in Lima, we have this big, great city that just changed so quickly and in some moments, like really with no organizations, that of course, that uh, that also comes with travel, you know. But at the same time, gave the city some uh, richness uh, because it's so different, but so, um, but also have a lot of things in common, you know, uh, people from a lot of different places with different traditions. And how do you, some people say that, you know, the way you you wear clothes or whatever, it's some of what you want to express. I think that the way you live sometimes, what you want to say with the color of your house or the shape of your roof, uh, it's also, it's also um, had a relationship where what you came from, you know. Something that, I, that is very curious in Lima is in our city, it never rains. You know, never at all. It's a, it's a desert, and you know sometimes people that live or that used to live in the Andes, uh, they of course need to have this like triangle-shaped roof, uh, like here because of the rain. So they brought that to Lima just to remember how their houses were built. So that's really interesting to watch. And these kind of details are around all the city. So that's a strong identity brand uh, of Lima. And not only Lima, but a lot of South American cities with a lot of migration. So it's it's really heterogenic, but at the same time, it's like a really uh, like trademark of, of the situation of the people. It's not only houses or landscapes. Uh, I, my work uh, um, talks about, you know, the social life, the traditions and the transformations. That's why you can see cities, but they are not so clear sometimes. They are between real spaces and fictional ones. So everybody can relate uh, or identify something about something they know uh, I hope <laughs> in in my work. So I try to transform. Sometimes they are more abstract, like in this one, that it has like round shapes because I've been working a lot with stereographic photography. That the idea with this photography is like to have the sensation that you are inside. You no, know, it's still two dimensional, uh, but 
uh, it gives you like the optic sensation that you can go inside. You know? So how many, do you have one piece on display? How many pieces do you have on display tonight? I have two pieces tonight mm -hmm. uh, that are made uh, from a lot of little pieces because I work always like in a puzzle. Mm -hmm. uh, so actually the, the goal someday is like maybe can, people can intervene, make an intervention on it. Uh, but today we have two that are like uh, coming out from the wall. Yeah. So did you make them in Lima and bring them over here or did you work on them while you were here? No, I, I make it in Lima because I didn't know uh, how much time I was going to have here. Uh, there are Lima photographs. I, they are made from, you know, MDF. It's like a kind of material in between wood and cardboard. Um, with, you know, I print all my photographs and my drawings in vinyl. So it's like a really big, strong sticker that I put on the, M the MDF. And then I cut it uh, in a laser machine. So it's really an industrial process because I like to work a lot. And this process has led me to, you know, I brought all my pieces in my suitcase because they are like a big puzzle. Yeah, and then I can transform just like the city transforms. So it's also like a game for me. So you're the only artist in the exhibit who's not from the Bronx? Is that right? Yeah. So do you feel like does that matter or not, or do you feel like your themes of your work are just so universal that it kind of all blends in? Yeah, I, I think that now, because of the internet and and all the media, we have, uh, you know, artists of our generation can, like, be influenced with the same stuff sometimes, or our problems became more common. Now, of course, we have different uh, contexts and spaces and interests. But being the only one artist that is outside, that lives outside the Bronx, uh, <laughs> really outside the uh, United States, uh, it's been really interesting because especially here they have a lot of Latin American influence. So actually I feel I'm home here, yeah. Rosemary Fiore's work is so large that only part of it is on display in the Bronx art space. She talks about the logistics of creating a mammoth piece and why she likes to use machinery to create art. My family, both sides of my family are from the Bronx, Mars Park area, but I grew up in Westchester, in, um, right near White Plains. Now I've been back in the Bronx for about nine years. So is this the first time that you've had a piece on display here? At the Bronx Art Space, yes. Mm -hmm. So how did you get involved with um, it, uh, well, Linda asked me to um, be part of the show, and um, you know I've been in, in the Bronx for a few years now, so I know a lot of I know the the community a bit, and um, so it, we thought it would be a good fit to have my work in this particular show. So we saw your piece over there in the gallery, and it was just it might be a little bit hard to explain for the listeners since they can't really see it. But can you do me a favor and just try? <laughs> sure, <laughs> absolutely. This is a piece. It's called um, called the Good Time Mix Machine Scrambler Drawing Drawings, and um, it's a piece that was was made in 2004. Um, and I did this in collaboration with an art space called Grand Arts in Kansas City. Um, and at that time, we collaborated on this piece. So it was a many. It was like a year project in the making, um, with a lot of people working on it. And so what we did is we bought a 1964 Eli Bridge 
Scrambler amusement park ride. And those are those rides that spin around. So you have a central axis that spins, and then you have three or four arms, I think it's three, and on the ends of each arms are something called cars that spin too. So you're basically being spun a lot, and this is the ride that we all throw up on, or <laughs> we feel pretty sick over. And the person next to you gets squished as it goes around because of the force. So what we did is we took one car off of this machine and we put a spray delivery system in there, which was like a gas generator, compressor, um, and we engineered some kind of spraying mechanism that would fit onto the car on the bottom. And as the scrambler went around, this spray system was put on at high speed. When it reached its high speed, clicked on, and it would create a design, very similar to a spirograph. And I know we've all had, we all had spirograph drawing machines when we were really little, and they make those really cool designs, and they're actually called hypocyclid um, plane curves. <laughs> I know it's a complicated name, but that's actually what it is, is it's a circle that's rotating inside a circle, and it creates a hypocyclid curve. Um, and that's exactly what the scrambler ride does, but on a very large scale. So we were creating paintings that were around 60 by 60 feet or 48 by 48 feet, depending on where we put the spray mechanism on the car. And so you're presenting um, five of those, right? Five? Yeah. Um, so we made a lot of different kind of work with this because, you know, you have to think about this. We had to buy the machine from North Carolina, and we brought it back to Kansas City. We got a, a very huge, huge warehouse. I had to use rollerblades to get to the bathroom, and this, that means it's like five minutes on the rollerblade. I loved it, but it was just crazy large. And um, so you can imagine that we wanted to make a lot of work with this machine. So we made big pieces that were 60 by 60 feet on vinyl. We made strips. Um, we put strips of canvas together, very w wide, 10-foot wide canvas. And we made 60 by 60 foot drawings with that. Um, and we also made these smaller pieces that were done on panels. So the panel piece in the show is actually eight panels, which spans from one side of the hypocyclic design or the painting to the other side, straight across the middle. Um, and in the, in the smack middle would be where the ride was resting. Um, and so I could only fit five of those eight panels in the show because when you think about it, they're five by ten feet each. So we're talking about a, a lot of footage, <laughs> which we don't have all that wall space here. But um, I was able to put five of those panels, plus a video which shows documentation of the process. For people who come in, you'll see the ride. It's like it looks miniature because we took the video from like a cherry picker, you know, like really high up, like 40 feet high up. We were in the cherry picker with the video camera looking down, like it was all shaking. Everything was like ah, the ride was going. So it really looks like a small ride because it's shot like bird's eye view, right from above, and it looks like it's kind of animated fast because it took four hours to make this piece, but the video is only one minute. So I took out all the extra extra footage and it looks like a teeter-tot kind of like a small toy that's rotating really fast and as it rotates it shoot, the paint shoots out of the bottom and it creates these large paintings so you'll see the video of that and then you'll see these these uh, panel pieces from the from the project as well so using such a big piece of machinery is was that new for you or had is that kind of what you do with your other works do you also use um, some type of machinery or something like that yeah, so I'm, I'm an artist that uses popular technology to create drawings or paintings with. So I, I take these popular machines such as like a car or a lawnmower or, or fireworks or um, a floor polisher 
or a waffle iron or um, in this case a you know an amusement park ride and I'll I'll make it into like a, a, a mark making machine it's like it's almost like a collaboration these are my collaborative partners are these machines Vidal Centeno was born in East Harlem but moved to the Bronx in the late 80s and he still lives here today Centeno talks about his art and the message behind it so have you been involved in the art world since then, since moving here? I certainly have, which is one of the reasons why I moved up to the Bronx, because the overhead uh, is really low, still relatively speaking. So what can you tell me about how the art scene has changed in the Bronx from then now? It's still, it's changed quite a bit. It was, it was much more guerrilla art back in the 80s. I guess you can say their artists have are are a lot tougher than artists say from Brooklyn or <laughs> some of the other boroughs. Yeah. Do you find that people that the Bronx is like a certain connotation with it? Then is that what Cer you mean? Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, unfortunately, but then that's a good thing also uh, because I feel uh, it, it's going to take a lot more time to gentrify the area, and if that's the case, then. Uh, New Yorkers, particularly artists, emerging artists, young artists, older artists, so, you know, will find it uh, just a lot uh, more convenient, easier to live here. What is it about the Bronx that's kept you here for so long? Oh, it's, it's just dynamism. I, the, the, the interesting thing with that is that I don't see myself so much as a, a, a resident of the Bronx or as a resident of the city. So you have two pieces on display tonight. One of them uh, is uh, is Koros to the Catastrophic, and uh, it's essentially a hanging lamp in the form of a, of a destroyed uh, jet engine. The word Koros, it's a uh, hanging lamp or chandelier, usually found in Byzantine churches. And essentially what they did was they were over the, the domes, the cornices of the domes, and uh, they illuminated the uh, the liturgy, usually. So I have this sort of sacred uh, connotation to them. What, what's interesting about it is it's entirely made of paper. So what happens is that when people approach it, they see this very sort of pristine white, sort of almost pretty-looking object, uh, not knowing what, the, uh, what it actually means, what it symbolizes, and, and what it does is symbolize the, the total opposite. So you have this sort of tension between those two ideas, you know. And also the paper uh, speaks to the sort of precariousness of life in general. Uh, the other work, Koros uh, to uh, JRO, is another hanging lamp, but in the form of a, uh, an atomic or the core of an atomic weapon or uh, an early form of it. The work is an homage to uh, uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer, who uh, was a theoretical physicist, professor, and also he was the, to some, considered the, the, the father of uh, the atomic bomb. What it does essentially is the action of the, the, the lamp mimics an implosion-type device, whereas uh, it's, the basic structure is, it's, it's a little, it's going to get technical, but it's referred to as a, a truncated icosahedron, which is a uh, Archimedean solid, and that's actually the form that was used in creating a, the first atomic weapon. And so you have that, that geometric sphere and these LED lights that are located in each of the vertices of that sphere. And they, they shine their light uh, inward towards, the, uh, towards a, a, 
a mirrored sphere uh, which alludes to the plutonium core. So essentially what happens is that the light bounce, it shines in, but it's bounced back out. And it's um, a metaphor for the way uh, an atomic bomb works too. So uh, it's, uh, juxtaposing the idea of, of say interior design and design in general with something that has such a, say, negative connotation to it at this point, you know, in the uh, 21st century. Xavier Figueroa's piece in the exhibit is a replica of a subway station, complete with turnstiles and a ticket booth. He talks about how he created it and how art in the Bronx has changed in his time here. So I just saw your piece. It's really cool. So you decided to kind of recreate the inside of a subway station. Right. So can you tell me a little bit about why you decided this particular piece and why for this exhibition? Um, originally, I had another idea for a piece, but it was too big. So um, I've always been connected to trains. I love trains. I mean, obviously, we live in New York, but um, as a kid, I would watch the trains go by with the graffiti on it. And my I was just telling the assistant that my friend was a graffiti artist. He was the first person I saw do a tag. Um, but I never did anything like that until years later. Anyway, that's the connection I have to that, but I'm very fascinated by transit stuff in general. And um, I was in a graffiti group. It was me and two other guys, and our the name of our group was MTA, actually. It was in San Diego, um, but it, did, it, it was a multi-talented artist. Um, anyway, we started this group, and I started getting really heavily into it, and uh, I don't know, it's been translating into my work for years now. I mean, I use spray paint in my paintings. I use um, references to subways all the time. And I was thinking about putting a subway, like breaking through the wall and all sorts of crazy things. But then I toned it down um, much toner than what I thought of, which is what I usually do. It starts off really convoluted. And then I bring it down to like a 3D version of an illustration and that's kind of what I try and do make it subtle make it feel like a memory because um, I want people to feel like they're they're seeing something from their past so like this piece is called the transfer and it takes place in the 80s the early 80s and I wanted it to feel like that you know with the ripped poster is not there the turnstiles have the token drop um, and the token booth also has a faux version of the wood sliding where you can slide the token in. Um, and I also put the sign that I hated all my life out to lunch. <laughs> Every New Yorker knows that sign. Um, I also am encouraging people to write on different parts of the piece, um, except for the turnstiles, but the I-beams is free to tag on the the wall across from the bathroom door, the panel, the broken window on the side of the token booth <laughs> has old plywood panels on it. Um, I tagged it already so that people will go, you know, think, can I write on that? Or So I want to know what people feel, and that's why I usually do these things where people can write on and tell me what they think of the pieces. Um, the feedback is how I go forward with my work. So can you tell me a about maybe how you've noticed the Bronx art scene has evolved or how it's changed and how it's still changing? The Bronx 
is not what people think there's an art scene. There's always been an art scene here forever. It's just people don't look at the Bronx for art. Not necessarily. You know, they, they think of Manhattan always. Everybody always thinks of Manhattan for everything. But I think for the last 15 years or 10 years, everybody's looking at Brooklyn and Queens. Uh, but we've been we've been underground. That's all. That's it. We've just been underground. There's so many good artists in the Bronx. It's ridiculous. There's more sense of community and more sense of helping each other, trying to help each other. And the one component that is very Bronx, very Bronx, is the handmade. People like to make things with their hands. It's been picking up a lot. And a lot of people are moving to the Bronx from Brooklyn and Queens now, and some from Jersey City, too. The exhibit Portals and Interventions is now open until February 1st at the Bronx Art Space. For more information, visit bronxartspace.com. This has been Fordham Conversations on WFUV. You can also like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. And if you've missed a show, you can catch up with our weekly podcast or online at WFUV.org. Stay tuned. George Bodarkey and Cityscape are next on WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Chris Williams.